right, guys, welcome to episode 75 of the Walking Closer podcast. This is what a mess. What a mess. Part one. And uh, I just finished a series called Jesus the Man. The focus was on the humanity of Jesus because I think we tend to forget that he was human. We focus so much on his divinity that maybe we have a difficult time connecting with him and really realizing um, that he was human. And so we miss, you know, we say he's like fully human and fully divine, and we only focus on one half of who he was. Anyways, my hope was that that might be helpful and um, in such a way that, I don't know, may have a better connection with Jesus. Um, and while, well, Jesus was human. We uh, Christians, we believe that he was divine, and the things that he was able to do demonstrated his divinity. And so we say things like he was God in the flesh, right? And uh, we have all sorts of ways to talk about that and try and wrap our minds around that concept, which, quite frankly, thinking of Jesus as being fully human and fully divine is a complicated thing. And trying to talk about that and understand that rationally, right? Logically, like the way that we like to think about things, it's pretty difficult. And, uh, you know, when you talk about it, it's going to be complicated. But man, I still think, (laughs) I think we make things more complicated more often than we really need to, especially when it comes to who we are as Christians, Christianity, this this Christian stuff. Uh, for, For instance, you know that there are at least six mainstream theories we put together to try and explain why Jesus came in the first place, like what the cross was all about. <laughs> Let me list them. There's just main ones, okay? There's more than six, but these are just what I would call six mainstream theories. You have the ransom theory, and that was really expressed very clearly around the third century. And essentially, to summarize, it says God pays off Satan with a bribe. Um, you have the satisfaction theory, and that really begins to surface around the very explicitly around the 11th century, and it says that Jesus appeases God by being a human sacrifice. Then you have the moral theory. This is around the 12th century. It says that basically Jesus' death is an example for the rest of humanity to emulate. You have the acceptance theory. This is around 13th, 14th century, uh, which basically says atonement is arbitrary, right? It's an arbitrary choice of God. And you have the penal theory. This would be around the 15th century, really pushed by Reformation theologians. And so most of evangelicals, what's at the core of what you believe, this is where it started. God's mercy replaces his wrath after the infinite sacrifice of Jesus. You have the Christus Victor theory. comes from a book of the same name published in 1930s and basically says Jesus came and freed us from the power of sin and death. Now, there are a host of other ideas and ways to interpret and define the why, which is what each one of these is trying to talk about and focus on. Um, And many of these will either claim that this is what the early church thought, while others will just simply say, that, you know, we got it wrong all along. What's interesting about each one of these theories is that each one comes along to try and answer what they felt like the previous theory was missing. And all of this is about really smart people trying to figure this stuff out, trying to wrap their minds around the why, 
okay? And uh, every time this has been done, there's always loopholes, or maybe not a loophole. There's just always, there's, there's gaps. There's things that are missing, uh, which causes people to continue to think about it. There's nothing, there's no answer or conclusion we come to that is, seems to be satisfactory. Now, it may be for some time, but then after some time, you know, somebody says, well, what about, what about this? And so they try to tackle it again. Um, now, the way that I've explained these things, you know, may not have been adequate. Uh, obviously, there's, they're more complicated than just little statements that I've made about each one. I encourage you, if you're interested in this, to you know, research all this on your own. I have no desire to go into all of these on this platform. But it does illustrate the, the point of how you know, some of this can be very complicated, but we can overcomplicate things uh, as well. And even when it comes to these theories and the language that we use to talk about this, um, it's very difficult to see how this is what I would say translatable. In other words, it, how do you could take this and talk about it in such a way where it makes sense to just about anyone? And I get sometimes that's almost an impossibility. But man, there's a problem as I see it when people who actually, you know, want to follow Jesus have a difficult time wrapping their minds around the language that we use, the, the way that we talk about things, right? Um, and, and especially, like, you know, when you go back to these theories, this is why this is important to realize that your church doctrine, what, what churches or groups of people believe to be true, is based on one of these theories or, or a theory like it, at least. Um, whole worldviews are based on these things. How, how Christians see themselves and other people and how they respond to others is, is influenced by these theories, right? How we talk about what we talk about. It's influenced by these theories. Like you, you don't even realize it, but you've been sitting in a church gathering information, you know, what is being said and done. It's largely based on one of these theories. Um, and you may not even be aware of that. Now, I think they all have something to bring to the table. And I, I think that these theories, they, they chronicle for us what people were focused on. And it would be interesting to look at the different times in which these various theories began to surface or resurface, right? And, and highlight what the main focus was. But, but then also look at the cultural context and see if there was anything driving this. Um, and, because when you look at it, oftentimes it seemed that one theory was just simply a rebuttal of another because it was found lacking in some area or, or another. And, and I wonder, why was it found to be lacking? And, and again, was there something in the cultural context driving the focus? Like, why was all of a sudden this, uh, you know, the thing that was an issue? And so, in other words, why after, you know, 100 plus years or so are these concerns surfacing now? Why, after all this time, is this now just becoming something to address? And was there something prevailing, some, some prevailing thought that gave rise to questioning the conclusions that had been formally drawn? And uh, so I find that interesting, and I think it is very telling. But, but, but I guess my point is that people throughout the centuries have been trying to figure out what to do with this, like what to do with Jesus. Why did he come? Why did he do the things that he did? Why did he die on the cross? And we have wrestled with this for centuries and trying to make sense of the things that are said. And every time we come to a conclusion, there's always something lacking and always something missing. And my, my response to the answer give, given 
with all these theories is, okay, but there must be something in all of this language we, that we use that is practical, right? That makes sense where we are in our time, in our reality. Um, something that, that makes it good news, right? Something that has, has such an effect on us as people that it is good news to us, such good news that we can't help but share it, right? Good news that doesn't get drowned out with complicated theories or theological language that really carries no meaning. And, and I really think that this describes so much of where we are today. There, there are a lot, lots of people who have been hearing certain trigger words, highly charged religious words or phrases, and they they have adopted the language themselves as well. But the language might not have any real meaning to them. It's a language that people are, sure, comfortable with, and it makes them feel secure in where they are in their church or with what is being talked about. And, and they need to hear these words or phrases, and if they don't, then something something's wrong. The things are in their minds. Things are or or aren't being done right, right? Or the gospel isn't being the gospel isn't being preached. Um, I, I have actually addressed this. I've actually dealt with this at various times, where I think, and a good example to use, I think, is when we talk about repentance. Okay. Um, so when we talk about repentance, uh, I think a lot of people think that a repentance is simply just, look, I'm sorry about something that I did. Uh, but the reality is repentance is not an apology. And while that may be a part of a process that people go through when they repent, repentance is just simply a word that is used to describe a process that a person goes through when they change their mind. And their mind is changed in such a way, right, that it just it hits straight to the heart and they begin to do things differently. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of action. That's how, that's how the older preachers used to say it uh, when I was growing up. And so repentance, right, is this idea that this is how I've been seeing things. This is how I have viewed things. This is how I've been thinking about things. And now that's changed. And now that that has changed, the fruit of that will be seen, right? I do things differently. When I see this, I think about things differently. I have a different perspective or outcome on this thing. And that's, that's repentance, right? Repentance is summed up in the process of transformation, okay? Now, here's the thing. I very rarely say the word repentance. And... The reason why is because of, I think, people not really understanding what it is and that it is a word that summarizes and illustrates, maybe even describes this process of transformation. Now, does it mean that I don't talk about repentance? Some people might think so because I don't say the word repentance, yet I do talk about, and I, like my teaching, the things that I focus on can be summed up in the aspect of transformation. I mean, this, this whole Walking Closer podcast is so focused on that very thing. You could summarize all of this, the word repentance, but I don't use the word. 
Instead, I deal with concepts. I teach in concepts because, and oftentimes it is the case, these words don't, we've lost the meaning of these words. They don't carry the, 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 the same meaning for us. Repentance, I think sometimes in church culture, is just a way of saying, look, I admit I have done something wrong. I admit that I have sinned and I'm trying to you know, apologize or, or get right. And the reality is, repentance is I acknowledge that, wow, the way that I'm thinking about this, the way that I'm approaching this, the way that I'm doing this is not the best. Now I am looking to turn, change, transform. Okay, So I teach in concepts. Now, I teach in these concepts of repentance. I explain these things, but I don't use the word. If repentance actually means something to you, when you hear the concept, you will know that that concept is summed up in the word repentance. But if you hear the concepts and you still think that repentance is not being taught, guess what? Repentance probably doesn't mean anything to you, or what you think it is, is not what it really is. Okay? And this, I think that this demonstrates the reality of the language that we, use, that, that we use and how, in many cases, I've seen it over and over again, we've lost the meaning of these words, like what the concepts behind it. And these are words that we cling to. They are religiously charged words and phrases, and we like to hear those. We want to hear those because there's something, there's something about these words that connects us to this space, this place in our minds where we feel okay. It's a comfort thing. We feel secure in that. But yet my question is, do these words mean anything to you? Can you, can you identify the concept when it is taught without the word, because you can teach repentance without using the word repentance. There are a lot of other words that you can use besides that word. Now, I, I'm picking on repentance, but we could talk about a lot of other things. We could talk about the gospel and what people think the gospel is. And, and now I'm going to run off on a tangent, and I, and I don't want to go there. But you get the point, uh, hopefully. Okay, we have these words like sanctification and atonement, and in certain circles, maybe those things are understood. And my question is, do you understand those things in such a way that it 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 is something that translates over to your life, and you can communicate these concepts to people who are not on the in, not on the inside, right? So I, I guess I personally feel like we have such a mess on our hands. And maybe it's just me. Maybe maybe I'm just one. You know, maybe I'm the the, the guy with the problem. Yeah, you know, I'm just one guy trying to work my way through all of this and make sense of it of it all. I mean, you, my journey is out here on display. Okay, that's that that's the nature of this sort of thing. But maybe maybe you feel it too. Maybe. Maybe some of this resonates with you. Maybe, maybe you get lost in all the language and the phrases that are used. Maybe you struggle trying to make sense of all this. I can remember when I was a kid. I can remember hearing these things and these, these words being used. But I remember thinking, like, what does that mean? 
And then as time progressed, what I realized is that I was hearing these words, and then I would begin to question whether or not the person who was using these words actually understood what they meant. And obviously, uh, I didn't know what they, they meant, but I remember thinking, I remember thinking that if I was teaching, if I was in this position, that I would want to know what these things meant, and I would want to use the language that would help other people understand the concepts and understand what we're talking about here. And that's where I'm at. Hey, guess what? I have, I have, I'm in that place now. <laughs> I, I am there. And that's the reason why I don't use a lot of these religiously charged words, as I call it. But maybe, maybe, maybe you tried. Maybe you struggled, right? Maybe you get lost in all the language and phrases. Maybe you struggle trying to make sense of all of this. Maybe you, you try talking to someone about Jesus, but they struggled relating to or making sense of what you were saying. Maybe, maybe this led you to wondering why or, or led you to questioning the language that you used and how you talk about all of this. Maybe, maybe you struggle to talk about all of this in such a way that it resonates with people and it makes sense. See, I, I believe that we need to be in a place where this stuff truly makes sense, not to just those who, are, who already agree, who are already a part of this. Uh, we use such insider language and concepts. Now, I get that some of it is, and some of it is going to be very difficult for people to wrap their minds around. It's a part of a journey. It's a part of a process, and there are certain things that you will not connect with and relate to until you're you know, at a certain point in, in the journey. And that, that's, that's human nature. I mean, that's, that, that, that's, that's the way it is with just about anything. It doesn't matter what we're talking about here. But now, I personally question how many Christians actually are able to make sense of this stuff. And I think it's the reason people have, have seen so little progress in their own lives. I, I think it's a part of the reason why people are turning away from Christianity. Um, it seems empty to them. There's empty words, empty phrases, empty lives. I think, I think that classic Christian language has lost much of its meaning, and we need to start asking ourselves, what does all this stuff mean? Why, why am I following this? Why do I do this? What, what, does, this, what does this mean to me? And if, if you can't answer these questions for yourself, how can you expect others to answer it for themselves? Or how can you possibly help them come to see why they should follow Jesus and what he has to offer? See, I think we need to understand Jesus in such a way that it's practical for us. And it makes sense in such a way that it translates into our life and it and it really is good news to us. And it's, it's such good news to us that we, we can communicate it to others who, even though they might ultimately not follow Jesus, they can say, I get what you're saying, or I see what you're saying, or I disagree with you, but I see where you're coming from. Can we talk about Jesus in this way? So... Obviously, I think we got a mess on our hands, and so how how might we we work through all this and gain some some kind of clarity? Well, over the next couple of episodes, I'm going to walk you through how I have navigated my way through all this mess, and quite honestly, still are. I'm still trying to 
navigate myself through things. And and that's the process. That's the nature of growth. That's the nature of being human as we work through things. You know, at one moment we think we understand something and then another moment, years later, we realize, huh, I really didn't understand this. Um, But as I see it now, how I have navigated my way through some of this mess, how I make sense of what I see in my own experiences and Maybe it might be helpful to you. So I invite you to come along with me as we navigate our way through the mess. And I'm going to do this by focusing on three main things over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to share with you what I believe is the the overarching narrative of Scripture. Um, and I've talked about the Bible a lot and how I believe that people put their faith in the Bible and not in Jesus or not in God how the Bible is elevated above so many things. And um, so I do see value in it. And I want to share with you what I believe is the overarching narrative of Scripture. We're going to talk about why. Why did Jesus come? And how it makes sense of the cross, which I found that the more I get into it, the, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, complications, might we say, with this. Um, so the reason why we have at least six mainstream theories and a host of others that we're still working working on trying to wrap our minds around this. I think y'all have something to offer. My question is: Is there a possible way to simplify this thing? And so, yeah, that's going to be this series on what a mess. So. Yeah, look, I I appreciate you listening to this episode. I hope you found some value in really the Walk Closer podcast as a whole. And I hope you hope you join me. Hope you join me on the next episode as we continue to explore becoming like Jesus from the inside out.